on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. inside the chat room on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. We are broadcasting live from the University of California campus in Irvine. We're streaming on the web at KUCI.org. And we are podcasting each and every minute of this show and all of our other shows. You can find us on KUCI.org. You will click on Archives. Scroll down to Podcasts, and you can find us right there. All of these shows are up and available to you each and every week, right, uh, pretty much right after we, um, right after we air. So you can check us out there. Uh, I am your host, Marie Stone. I am joined by my co-host, Dana, calling in. Hello, from, Marie. Hello. How are you doing? I'm excellent. How Good. are you? I'm doing well. Dana is joining us from his new home up in Santa Cruz. And uh, we're incredibly lucky today to be joined by Jackie Castro. Jackie is a licensed marriage family therapist. She's received her master's degree in clinical psychology from Antioch University in L.A. She has a special gift that allows you to feel comfortable in getting in touch with unexpressed feelings and emotions. She provides a safe environment for you to gain more accurate sense of yourself, uh, bolstering your self-esteem. And um, it is our huge pleasure to welcome her on tonight. Jackie, hi. Hi. So, you know, we met you through a guest we had on probably a month ago, maybe six weeks ago, Allison Shula. Yes. And uh, you had done some podcasts with her about, um, it, it felt like she was setting up sort of sexual challenges for herself, and then you were sort of helping her process them in the aftermath. Is that sort of how it went? Yes, that was the podcast. Actually, how I met Allison is is that my husband Vinny is um, he he helps develop talent, and um, he got Allison kind of like very raw. And Allison has so much wonderful things about her, but she was kind of like you know a diamond in the rough or a beautiful piece of um, marble that needs needs to be sculpted. Hmm. And that's what he's done for her. He's helped her developed podcasts. He helped her. He produced two books, 
a music CD and just kind of helps manage her career. That's kind of what he is. He's a talent developer. So when he had the idea of doing the podcast, he thought that it would be interesting, interesting to have Allison come on with her friend Paige, have them talk about sexuality because Allison wrote the book, um, You're Probably a Slut. So with that in mind, it was interesting to have a therapist there to help them process these challenges and also kind of celebrate sexuality. That's what I loved about the podcast. We were very um, non-judgmental about their adventures. It wasn't like, well, you should do this or you shouldn't do this. It was about actually the celebration of being a quote-unquote slut. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? It wasn't, it wasn't about like a negative thing. It was about embracing sexuality in all its forms. So that's, that's what the podcast was, and I was very, very honored to be a part of it. It's interesting to me because um, every therapist that I've met, and I've <laughs> met a lot in my life, yeah. uh, this this quality that that you all share of being completely non-judgmental, and I feel like you could say the craziest things to a therapist, and their expression will always be sort of non-pulsed, and you know, okay, you know, let's take it from there. And uh, I don't know if that's a skill that you have to acquire over time, or if you've just heard every crazy thing out there, so you know, it's hard to shock you. Um, or if, you know, there's sort of an attitude that's woven into your brain about, you know, the, the, the whole spectrum is open to me and I, you know, <laughs> whatever you bring me, I'm just going to go with it. Well, part of the reason, and, and that's true, that part of the whole thing about being a therapist, and we hope, and not every therapist is like that, but we're supposed to be, is that we are non-judgmental. And what our job really is is to provide what parents are supposed to have provided their kids way back when is to be totally accepting, mm. you know, totally accepting and provide unconditional love and acceptance to our clients. So the clients come in and most of them have not had the experience of being heard and being allowed to express themselves. So a good therapist will provide that safe environment so that you can say and um, feel whatever it is you feel without being judged or censored. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Uh, t so tell me a little bit about how you got into it, and, and particularly how you got into your specialty, because I understand that you specialize mostly in sexual fetishes, helping partners of people who, um, who have sexual fetishes. So tell me a little bit about your, um, your path into uh, being the, the sexual therapist. Okay, well... I'm, I'm really a marriage family therapist who has a specialty area in sexuality, and I deal with all kinds of issues. Um, I deal with depression, bipolar. I deal a lot with, I deal a lot with, with the harder things. That the, I take the kind of clients that a lot of therapists don't want to take because I, I feel that I, I do have a, a very special gift about being maybe a little bit extra accepting and extra open-minded. So as far as the sex part, um, you know, when I was in graduate school, we all had to take human sexuality, but um, I guess I became very interested in uh, the diversity of sex and all the different facets of sexuality, and um, I studied it, and I also did some postgraduate work at the University for the Advanced Study of Human Sexuality in San Francisco. So I, I kind of just naturally developed this clientele and I, partic and I had a particular interest in sexuality out of the box, not only, you know, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender community, but also there are people, and 
really everybody has different things about their sexuality. But again, nobody wants to talk about it. Fetishes, the little things that people fixate on. And the reason that I'm so interested in it is not what they're thinking about, but the reaction to it, the guilt and the shame and the horrible feelings that go along with it, the loss of self-esteem. And that's one reason why I then wrote the book Sex, Fetish, and Him is because I saw the partners being so unaccepting and judgmental and rigid towards their partner's sexuality that I felt very passionate that I had to do something about it. Dana, do you want to uh, do you want to pipe in? Absolutely, Jackie. Thank you so hey, much Dana. for being on the show. Hi, my Could pleasure. You, you were mentioning that partners tend to get shocked when they find out about their partner's fetish. Yeah. What is? Could you give us kind of an idea of the landscape of the majority of the fetishes that you encounter? So hopefully, some people mm. who later on encounter these things won't be so shocked. Well, I mean, fetish is being turned on by something as opposed to maybe someone. It's having um, some, you know, there's people who objectify certain things like they, I mean, usually uh, the general way that we look at it is commonly men are um, butt men or breast men, okay? But people, but, but that's really not the way it is. Some people like to fixate on a foot or hairy armpits or, um, you know, any parts of the body, long hair, things like that. Um, so some people objectify certain th- things, and you consider that a fetish. Other people are stuck on certain fantasies, you know, the fantasy of one person power control, one person being charged, the other person submitting, um, all kinds of things. What I found, though, is that in particular, when men that I spoke to would share these proclivities with their wives, the wives would be very upset. Like, what? No, I'll never do that with you. Tie you up and whip you? No way. And so the pe- men would feel very shut down, and, of course, they felt rejected. And it was like, well, I'm never telling them that. But yet they carried it. Because the one thing that I do know, and I will say unequivocally, is fetish is strong powerful and it never goes away hmm. and this is something that I, I really need to say say this and say it strongly because you know if you go online there will be those schools of thought that well you know I can train you not to, to take away this fetish and um, you know I'll, I'll make you just like sex in in the uh, traditional sense and that's that's just not true that that's as absurd as saying that I can make a gay person straight you know, I mean, I think that we're born with certain proclivities, and fetish, it's, it's being shown that it's gen- as genetic as lesbian or gay or transgender, and that's just a fact. That's, so, a, that's a really good point, because my understanding all the way along, so I, I love that this is being debunked, is that something happened in your childhood that linked somehow, some object was linked in your head to sex. So, mm-hmm. you know, maybe your first erection happened when somebody with high heel shoes was walking by and somehow your brain made that link between the mm-hmm. two. Uh, but, but being born with it is an interesting and being genetically, you know, predisposed to it is that's that I hadn't heard that before. That's really interesting. Yeah. I, it's, it's the new studies that are kind of linking these things, but I, I agree. And that's, you know, the, um, 
the erection early on and maybe being late, you know, I mean, the typical one, and I think actually this Freud was the one who first said it, was like typically speaking, let's say a foot fetish, little toddler is crawling around on the floor and kind of rubs up against a woman, let's say, wearing high heels. Well, there's a arousal and a connection being made that then comes out after latency period, and, and that's where the foot fetish develops. But now also there's being... I mean, and, and I, I don't want to get into this too much because I'm really not that schooled in it, but there is, there are schools of thought that says there's genetic, you know, predispositions to it. So basically it would have to be genetic and environmental, so both of them would go hand in hand. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. And the, the difference between a fetish and a kink, uh, you know, because I, I know a lot of people that kind of play around in the bedroom, but I'm not mm-hmm. sure that you would you know, particularly say that they have a, an overriding fetish. Is there a difference between being, you know, creative and having a fetish? Yeah, I, I think so. And I think with a fetish, and a, a, kink, a kink would be something like, um, I don't know, do you, do you have any kinks, any, anything that you, you do that you, you would consider a kink? You know, I mean, I'm sort of openly creative so I'll you know I'll kind of try anything and I'll enjoy it but mm-hmm. I probably don't alight on any one thing that you know that I mean you know and I'll keep going back to things that I enjoy but uh, but I wouldn't say that I need them to you know have an orgasm or something right and and there you go and, and that exactly those last three words are what would distinguish between the two of them because people who have this real fetish real fetish I'm talking about need to think about it at the moment of orgasm. Now, it doesn't mean that they can't have normal sex as as anybody would, but in their head, just at that moment, they might be thinking about whatever the fetish is. And unfortunately, and that's that's the thing, they feel so badly about this. Like, oh my God, I I shouldn't have been thinking about that. I should be thinking and focused on my partner. And that's what what the partners say too. I mean, you were thinking about that when you had an orgasm and what I say is is it really doesn't matter what you you know an orgasm lasts (laughs) how many seconds but people get so hung up and have so much shame attached to it that that it's it's really heartbreaking I was going to say I'm not sure I'm ever focused on my partner when I'm having an orgasm I said I was going to say I'm not sure I'm ever really focused in on my partner when I'm having an orgasm I don't know you know I mean your mind wanders off and I, I guess for women Maybe this is another question, too, is because it sounds like these fetishes, as you're talking about them, are predominantly a male experience. And it feels like women's orgasms are so psychological and, you know, your head has to be in the right place in addition to your body being in the right place. Um, But I don't don't know how this cuts for um, men having the majority of the fetishes um, where you you think of their orgasms as mostly in the body. Mm. Well, I, I think that, well, from my experience, it, it's not just a, a male gender thing. I think men probably have more tendencies towards certain fetishes, but, but women, you know, I mean, certainly um, it's being shown right now that women do have fantasies about, and you could call it a fetish if it's very strong about being submissive or, or maybe dominant, but uh, Fifty Shades of Grey is going to prove that women really still like that fantasy about being submissive. <laughs> right, right. 
You are tuned into the chat room on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. We are on with Jackie Castro. We are talking about um, all things sex-related in uh, in the therapy context. And um, so maybe we'll go into the kind of the bread and butter of your uh, practice in this area. Um, it's usually women who come to you complaining about their they're men and hoping that you're going to talk them out of the fetish and then, uh, or how do, how do these interactions typically go? Um, it, it can be either. Uh, I'd say probably more typically it's the men that come in because they really, really need to talk about it. And they tell me that their women are very um, against it or they say that, you know, I tried to tell her and she just wouldn't. And, and now what do I do with this? You know, how do I manage this? married what what do I do with it and then oftentimes I will have the woman come in and we talk about it and what I basically try to do is general cognitive behavioral therapy where I will have the woman really think differently about the whole thing because I think women are programmed to feel that sex has to be a certain way and they're programmed because of society and our own mores so they're thinking well you know I mean if he thinks about this, but the biggest thing is, well, if he's thinking about that, then he's really not thinking about me, and I don't like that. That's the reason why a lot of women don't like their men to watch porn, mm. which, which I, I think is, can be just fine. But there's a whole movement out there that, think, that says, well, pornography is really bad because it's taking away couples from each other, and if he's watching porn, then um, he's comparing me, and I'm not as good enough, and just all kinds of stuff comes up about it where it's, it's, it's in a form, that's why they call it adult entertainment. That's what it is. It's entertainment. Right. You know, we as women, we go online and we like to shop. <laughs> well, that's, that's our porn, so I mean, let the men do what they want to do. Right. It's really harmless. But again, we're living in this world that is very, very um, uptight about sexuality. Indeed. Very uptight. Indeed. More uptight than you even want to realize. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I'm slowly beginning to realize with, uh, with things that are going on in this election, but yes, you're right, you're right. Yeah, very exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Danny, yeah. you want to chime in? Yeah, Jackie, do you think you could uh, give us some insight into what kinds of fetishes you see that the women have that become relationship problems? Well, it, it could be the opposite way around. Um, let's say a woman who... Okay, so a woman who wants to be tied up and whipped, let's say, but she's married to a man who goes, oh, that's too weird. I don't want to do that, and I don't want to hurt her. And so that's very frustrating. Well, I want you to hurt me a little bit. And it's, not, it's never, and, and they don't get it because nobody, unless they're a real masochist, wants to be hurt, but they like the idea of letting go, the power, the idea of the dominant person. So that's where it would be problematic. Anything will be a problem in a couple unless the couple communicates and understands what the other person wants. And the trouble is is that no two people are really going to be alike, and no two people are going to be alike when it comes to sex. So what people have to learn how to do is listen, understand, not judge, and then do it. Like, be, like in order to be your, the best lover to your partner, you got to figure out what it is that they like. And you got to be able to listen without judgment. 
So it, it's problematic either way, but it's nothing that can't be managed and handled and actually embraced. You know, a fetish is something that's so secretive and that people just don't want to talk about. So once a partner has the guts to share it with their, you know, husband, wife, spouse, partner, it's a big deal. You know, and my message is you better listen to it. You just better. Right. Because otherwise that, it, it's like you slam the door in somebody's face. You, blew, you threw cold water on them. You, you stabbed them in the back. And unfortunately, this goes on all the time, when in truth, it's really not such a big deal what people think about. Who cares? There's so many more important things to worry about in life than this. Do you think the incidence of infidelity is greater in these situations because people go outside the marriage to get their needs satisfied? No, not really. I don't think so. Because a lot of times they don't really go outside the marriage. They'll maybe go online and, and look at pornography or the fantasize about themselves. No, I, I think um, infidelity is there in, in many, many kinds of relationships. I, I, don't, I definitely don't think it's within the fetish community. And in fact, this, this is such a great way for people to keep their partners interested you know, that again, that's, that's one of my messages to women. Like, if you want to be, you know, and women, this is an important thing for us. We really do want to be our husband's best lover. We want our husbands to love us. Well, if you want to be your husband's best lover, find out what he likes and then do it. Mm -hmm. It's pretty simple. <laughs> right. <laughs> As Dan Savage says, you have to be good giving and game, which means, you know, I, I think the more creative and open you are, you know, to trying anything, uh, the more likely you're going to keep your partner around, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. You know, and it, it's, it's not only in the bedroom, it's not only about sexuality, but it's also, you know, it, it's in all areas of life. It's, it's really listening and listening without judgment and then acceptance, you know, and uh, unfortunately nobody's going to be really alike, and that's why, you know, I always stress to my clients, you know, my couples, you know, you have to communicate. And you have to judge somebody not by what they say, but by how they behave. You know, I have a lot of younger people in, in my, my practice, so I'm able to kind of give that message out to them. And I actually even do premarital counseling a lot, and that, that really helps. That's smart. That's smart. Yeah. The more yeah, people should take advantage is. of that. And the younger people these days are, are really wonderful because they're really understanding the benefits of going to therapy and they understand that it, it's nothing to be ashamed of but actually it's something that's really cool to do and the people in their 20s really seem to like get it much faster than my clients who come in when they're in their 50s or 60s obviously but you know. yeah it's interesting how um our current state of, you know, whatever we were talking about earlier about how uptight the country is and how mm. uptight Americans are around sex. And I'm wondering yeah. how that's translating to this younger generation, if they're more uptight about it, if they're more accepting of it, if, you know, I don't know. It, it seems to me from what I've seen in many ways they are a little bit more accepting, but um, still they grapple with certain things. Like I still I have younger gay, lesbian, and transgender clients who it, it, it would break your heart if you saw how torn up they are because they know that it will hurt their parents. They were brought up in religious environments and they're so 
uptight about going against their religion that, again, they feel the need to just hide and they just don't know what to do with themselves. And, and again, it, it's, it's the, I, we have to understand that these sexual proclivities, we don't choose them, they choose us. You know, somebody who's transgender, my God, no transgender person will tell you that they were born being trans and wanting to, oh, I just want to be someone else. It, it really is the way they were born. This, this started way back when, and they can't help it. And, and yet the idea of being able to tell their family, close friends, is, is just horrible for them, horrible. Dana, you want to uh, step in? Yeah, absolutely. I was curious if, so you're, if I'm hearing you correctly, it's really not a conscious decision people made, and mm-hmm. you have to explain that to people. And, yes. And in a way, um, kind of digging a fetish out of each partner could be a way to keep the marriage together. If, uh, if I'm hearing you right, if the person can kind of work with that person's fetish, it really mm-hmm. kind of sets the, a really strong foundation in a weird way. Yeah, not in a weird way, in a, in a real way. It, it's true because it's finally the person who has a fetish, like I said, usually says to themselves, I, I'll, I'll never tell anybody about this. I'm going to carry this with me till the day I die. But it, it's so strong that, that eventually it does come out. And the partner who says, okay, well, tell me more, and is willing to ask the lead questions to find out about the fetish is the one that has to gain as opposed to the one who just says, forget about it, I don't, I don't want to hear about this, you're sick, you're perverted. And, and actually it comes to mind, I'm, I'm thinking now about a woman that I counseled who did have a, a fetish. <clears throat> and uh, she, didn't, she, she kind of told her, her, part, her husband about it, I think before they were married, and then she just said, now I'm not going to tell him. And then she kind of went online, and he saw her digging around there. And it was, again, he really didn't want to know about it. But then he said to her, well, if, if you want to do this, you can contact people. And so she did, and then he realized that, wait a second, this is not cool, and she's going to meet up with strange men to get this thing done. You know, it was like a bondage kind of thing to get this thing done that he could do. So what thankfully he did, and this was 10 years into the marriage, he finally learned to do what she liked and actually had fun doing it. And why did he have fun? Because he was making her happy. And he saw that he was making her feel fulfilled. So it wasn't necessarily his thing, but, you know, what what was she asking for? For him to tie a few knots and, and tease her and make her feel helpless? You know, I mean, in the grand scheme of life, was, was that such a big deal? And the other thing could have been have a tragic ending. She could have met some crazy person online, and who knows what would have happened. Or even if she met a great person online, that would have really interfered with their intimacy as a couple. So... Right. I think that's what I'm really talking about is the impact of this on marriage or a couple or whatever. I have to say, just speaking from personal experience, that there is nothing more hot than watching somebody be turned on. And I don't care what they're turned on by. Just watching mm-hmm. somebody in the act of getting turned on is a turn on. And so, you know, aside from, I don't know what it would be, you know, that would be totally over the top offensive to me. You know, you're you're right. Just giving her whatever she needs to be turned on, just in and of itself, has to be some sort of turn on. It is, and though you say that you can't 
imagine what it wouldn't be. Let, let me ask you a few things. Okay, so some of the fetishes I've dealt with. Marie, how would you feel if you had a boyfriend and he said, you know what, the thing that I really want that really gets me really hot and bothered is for me to have sex with you while I'm wearing a crinoline. You know what a crinoline is? Like a little skirt thing? Oh, okay. No, I feel like okay. that's okay. Okay, so because this is there, I can tell you where I'll dry this. <laughs> this is a true. This is a true. A true story. So let's go with that. So how would you feel about that? Yeah, a skirt. I, I, I'll, I'll perform. He'll, he'll tell you that he'll perform everything you want, whatever you want, oral sex, whatever it is to please you. But for him to get really hot and bothered, he really wants to wear this crinoline. How would you feel about that? I think I'd be okay with that. I mean, I, you know, in practice, I don't know, but in my mind, I'm like, yeah, that's that's fine. You can wear whatever you want. I don't, <laughs> I don't care. Okay. Oh, good for you. Okay. How about if you had a boyfriend who said, I really, I, I love your feet, but I, I want to be able to kiss and lick them. And by the way, I don't want you to wash your feet for about 24 hours before we meet. So even if you take a shower, I guess, Try not to try to dangle your feet. I want your feet to be as smelly as they can be. How'd you feel about that one? Yeah, I'm okay with that. I mean, it doesn't get me turned on, but if it gets him turned on, that's okay. I can tell you that, you know, while the water (laughs) sports and things, I would start getting really uncomfortable. (laughs) Okay, so there, okay, so you have your boundary. I do. But but again, and, and, and that's okay. It's okay to have the boundaries and water sports, uh, the, the, the other, yeah. <laughs> the, the other part and on from there. Like, you know, that's <laughs> you. But let's say you had someone who that was their thing. Well, what are you going to do there? Because, well, water sports, maybe you could get around there. That one, you're, you know, if you really think about it, you're in a sterile. You could be in the shower and, and something like that or, you know, doing it either way. You, you might be able to get around that. The other part, I'm with you. Right, right. <laughs> Any, anything brown is, is, is my limit, too. Right. But let, let's say we were with someone like that. Okay, so what could we do? Well, the worst thing that we... Okay, so I'll ask you, what do you think you could do? Well, my worry with it is, is you know, I, I might be able to get through one time or something, but I don't know if I could make a consistent diet of it, which I feel is like what you're talking about these people need. <laughs> mm. I'm not sure I could get there, you know consistently um yeah i don't so let, let's say what could you do on in, that one time in, to manage this in the relationship to manage it there'd be a lot of bleach i don't know there'd be a lot of a lot well, of bleach and a lot of uh in the bathroom sex i guess i don't know well you're very sweet because you're actually thinking that you would actually do it and that says to me that you're a really sweet open-minded giving woman and and i love to hear women talk like that but in truth, the real truth is, is that, and I don't even think I would want that. Yeah. So, so okay. So You've made me uncomfortable. How, I'll say that. <laughs> okay. So managing it. Well, well, number one, you brought up a good point because none of these fetishes is it fair to ask your partner to do it all the time or talk about it all the time. You know, what I mean, because managing it means that, well, first of all, there's two people involved, so your needs has to be fulfilled as well as your partner's, and, and you have needs too, and maybe your needs would be just to have straight vanilla sex, and, and that should be fine, or whatever it is that you want. So, number one, it shouldn't be done all the time, and then number two, 
is that sometimes, and a lot of times, well, verbiage is good. And, and you could talk mm. about it a little bit, mm. like, you know, as part of sex talk. Sometimes you could do that, and, and that would be one way around it. And then the third thing is merely just accepting it and saying, oh, okay, that's what you like. Okay, well, I don't really quite get this, but it's okay. And just having that air of accept, acceptance is everything. It's mm. everything to the person because they're within themselves is such a battle. It's such a battle about I'm not going to be accepted and I'm crazy and weird and I feel so bad about myself. So just the mere act of acceptance by their partner is usually all anybody needs. Wow. That's but good they don't to, get it. That's good to hear. That's good to hear. Yeah. Wow. You are tuned into the chat room on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. We are chatting with Jackie Castro about uh, she is a marriage and family counselor, uh, counseling in all areas of um, both individual and uh, and couples counseling, uh, maybe a little bit of a specialty in sexual fetishes. We've been focusing on that. Well, I guess we could turn to other um, sexual therapy issues as well. And I'm I'm wondering if there are deal breakers. What kind of what the big deal breakers between couples are that come to you? If you counsel them for a time or two, can you tell you know this couple isn't going to make it out of this problem? And what the the biggest problems are that tear couples apart? Oh, that's that's a hard one. Um, well, not, I mean, it's deal breakers are individual to every couple. I mean, the I, I guess for many many couples, the deal breaker always seems to have to do you know have something to do about infidelities. Yeah. You know, having sex with someone else, and um, but again, I always try to break it down because there's infidelities and there's infidelities. I think. And though many people will say, well, a cheater is a cheater is a cheater, I think, once again, we have to really examine each situation. And there's certain kinds of cheating that I think are more deal breakers than others. I mean, for instance, I believe that emotional cheating is probably far more, far more detrimental to a relationship than sexual cheating. Now, I, will people necessarily agree with me on that? Not, not necessarily, but that's what I believe, and that's what, again, what I try to get the couples to say. You know, I mean, when somebody goes out, is it purely for a sexual adventure, or is it because an emotional need's not getting met? Like, again, being listened to, being understood. Again, you know, we're coming back to the fetish thing again, the thing about acceptance. A lot of people go outside of marriage because they feel that their emotional needs aren't getting met. So, so that's a big deal breaker, you know, and, you know, just normal things. I mean, communication and stuff like that can be deal breakers in, in a marriage, you know. Are there things people can do in advance? I, I assume going to therapy is one of them, but are there kind of, you know, warning signs on both sides of the couple before people step over the infidelity line uh, that should be, you know, warning signs and and things they can do in advance of this to, to save things before they get to that point. Yeah, I, I think so, and, and that's why... Hopefully, right? <laughs> Hopefully. When, well, when people go to therapy, that's always a good sign because they're taking their issues to a, a third party and really talking about them and communicating. Oftentimes, unfortunately, they come in too late when there's been resentments building up for so many years that... Um, 
it's almost impossible to undo. But when couples come in right away, then it's always easier to find out what's going on and communicate and talk about it more. Yeah, yeah. You know, but again, I don't, I don't think it's like fetishes that are necessarily the deal breakers. It's not the fetish. It's, it's the attitude, and it's about the communication and listening to each other. I work a lot with couples just listening. And most of the time, people don't hear each other correctly. People are so, you know, into thinking of ahead of time, like what they're going to say or defending themselves, but they're not really putting themselves in the other person's shoe and trying to see it from their vantage point. So that's, again, you know, what we try to do in, in, in couples counseling. Yeah, yeah. Dana, you want to step in? Yeah, I'm actually fascinated by the idea of emotional cheating. And I guess in my head, I'm not sure if I understand it the way it really is. Can you um, help me understand is kind of the crux of whether or not it's emotional cheating. One of them is it has to be kind of secretive. Then the other has to be that there was emotional intimacy at one time in the relationship. Is that true? Well, these days... The, the whole thing about infidelities and emotional cheating is highlighted by the fact that we have so many um, devices where we can check up on people. So I would say that so many couples come in to me to see me who somehow or other were able to go on a cell phone and figure out that their partner was calling somebody else for many, many times or were... Uh, uh, texting with someone else or emailing with someone else or Facebooking with someone else. It, it's just, it, it's insane. Like, I don't, I don't know what, 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 where the problems were lying 30, 40 years ago or even 20 years ago, 10 years ago. But now there seems to be so many venues in which people can communicate with other, each other outside the marriage. And it's not necessarily just emotional, you know, that's not necessarily what emotional cheating would be. It's when there's an interest in somebody else, an intimate interest in someone else. Like a couple I was, I was seeing recently, and, and it's sad because they, they just had a baby, but this person was having having feelings about someone, a coworker, and spending a lot of time with the coworker and sending the coworker gifts and, and spending more time with the coworker than with his own family. That, that is emotional cheating. Although there wasn't sexuality involved, there were feelings for someone else. So that, that's really what the emotional cheating is, as opposed to somebody who um, likes variety. And, and I, I will say that, that from my experience and from dealing with many, many, many thousands of people throughout my 20-plus career, men do have this need for visuals and variety. So going to a strip club, is that cheating? Well, to some people, they will say, yes. I say, not really, because there's no real attachment or communication with the person, even if something like going to a massage parlor or going to see a prostitute. It's cheating on a physical level, but the emotional aspects are far more painful. And I, and I have asked many, many women, and I've done my own personal survey, and it's funny to say that most women will say, yeah, I'd rather my husband went to um, see a prostitute than for my husband to um, be talking intimately with his secretary every day. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I totally and, sign on for that. <laughs> 
but it's, it's the truth. But again, it's something that we don't talk about. And in our society, prostitution is very illegal. And even the idea of strip clubs are considered a really, really big no-no. But, you know, if you go to a country like Japan, they, they have gentlemen's clubs, and, and it's, a very, it's very acceptable there. Right. And, and I'm not saying that this is the greatest thing in the world, but it, it's something to consider. And I, I think if women had the choice, and the choice, well, would you rather your husband go to a strip club or go to a gentleman's club or actually form an attachment to another person, I know what they're going to say. Right. It but actually, again, it, yeah. you know, it's not, it's not even within our society to have that option right now. I was going to say, it makes it, yeah, our current society makes me very nervous of how puritanical it's gotten. And uh, the only other comparison I can really make to this are, are you're right, kind of Japan or, or Afghanistan, places where sexuality is so incredibly repressed in certain areas that people mm-hmm. go crazy on the other end. And, I'm, you know, I kind of wonder if this is a big contributor to the amount of infidelity and the amount of pornography and the amount of you know, extracurricular activities it feels like people are engaged in because they feel so repressed. Yeah. Um, And definitely with the social media, it it would be very interesting to see studies on, you know, infidelity in light of Facebook and cell phones and, you know, things that, you're right, how would you have had these relationships 25 years ago if you had to get on a rotary phone (laughs) in a landline? Yeah. Or a you know, a party line back in the 20s or whatever they had. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's not to say infidelities didn't happen then, but I, I, I tell you what, um, I think Facebook, in, in terms of relationships, is far uh, more dangerous than um, a porn site. Yeah, I really right. believe that. <laughs> I've heard of, no, I've heard of so many um, relationships getting having problems because of Facebook. And I, and I think what, what happens is is that people... Yeah, have arguments or it's years into the relationship and, and you know, people are straying apart and there's that thought, oh, gee, wonder what happened to my old boyfriend, my old girlfriend. Well, back, you know, 20 years ago, you'd wonder, but there would be no way of finding out. Now it's all too easy to find them on Facebook and then not only find them, but you can very easily contact them. You start to think about, oh, you get nostalgic. You know, remember that one? What was it like? And the next thing you know, people are chatting with each other, talking to each other, and there, there's that emotional cheating thing because all of a sudden the focus is not on your partner. It's on that old flame who is probably so different than they ever were years ago. But again, they're not working and focusing on the relationship. They're focusing on this distraction because that's what it is. It's a distraction taking away from the real issue and really what's going on, which is maybe that the couple is getting a little bit bored, things are getting a little bit jaded, or they're just not really tending to a relationship. Because any relationship, no matter how many years you're together, you have to nurture it. You just have to, or else it can just die. Um, yeah, it's interesting to me how, you know, if people adhered to the, the strict ad- adherence of, you know, no pornography, no strip clubs, no friend, you know, kind of intimate friendships outside of the marriage, no, you know, 
excessive Facebooking with exes. No, you know, if you really followed the party line all the way down and you stay mm-hmm. married for 50 years and you have, you know, kind of waxing and waning hormones, depending on people's ages and libidos and however things mm-hmm. go, it would kind of be shocking, and you know, that marriages survive at all if you really had to <laughs> adhere to those rigid structures. Yeah, no, that's true. And, you know, with, with rigid rigidity, um, again, getting back to the fetish thing, some people think that they can deal with, with fetish by just having a rule. You know, I, I'm thinking now about um, a person, again, it, it was wearing an article of female clothing. And, uh, okay, it was wearing uh, women's underwear. Well, that's what he likes, just like the, the example I gave with the, the crinoline. Yeah. So how does his, his partner deal with it? Well, not only will I not let you even look at me dressed like that, but you can't even look at a, at a catalog. You can't look at anything that's connected with it. So, I mean, how is that dealing with it? Well, there is a line, a school of thought that's going to say, Oh, that's that's the best way. Just take away all the triggers. But you know, it's, it's so unrealistic. That's like saying to a foot fetish, you you could never go to the beach because there's going to be feet around. So th- the point is, is that you have to, like I said, you have to manage it. You got to work with what you have, and rather than prohibit this person's love of panties, why not take advantage of it? Why not buy the most beautiful? underwear that you that Victoria's Secret can (laughs) muster up and my god you know you're given a gift you're given the gift of exactly how you could be turning your man on and uh, she does just the opposite right right and and that's that's the sad part that's just that's the very sad part that you know I I addressed in in my book sex fetish and him that, you know, you have to change your thinking. You really do. Or else, you know, the marriage will... It, it won't necessarily break apart, like, like you were saying before, but what happens is, is that there's resentments and secrets. And, and again, when you're talking about relationships and staying together or not, secrets are the poison of, a relation, of any relationship. Even though some people think, well, you know, I'm not going to tell them certain things or, you know, women typically will say, well, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll buy that, but I won't tell my husband that I'm going to buy that. Or I, you know, I won't tell him that I didn't keep my doctor's appointment. The more those little white lies fester in a relationship, you get too comfortable with lying and then you start lying or not or withholding bigger things from your partner. So... Secrets are, like I said, secrets are poisonous to a relationship. You have to really think about that. And again, I think we're programmed to think, well, you know, it's okay. We, I, you know, I won't tell my husband this. You know, I dented the car. Or, you know, I, um, I spent, uh, I took um, my whole team out to dinner. I won't tell her I, you know, I spent that money. But you, you have to, because right. you know, you're equal in a partnership. Right. Right. Somebody once told me that um, couples who are really into BDS, into the bondage scene, and they're both, you know, kind of living that as a lifestyle, once one of those partners dies or, you know, whatever happens to the relationship, those are incredibly difficult to get over because you have so much invested, so much more, you have such a bigger bond, so to speak, with that person because of the unique aspects of your sexual relationship that it's a bigger loss than, than a normal 
functioning sex life is you know garden variety mm-hmm. sex life i wonder if if that's been your experience because it really um plays into the notion that you know you sex is so incredibly powerful and if you're on the same page at that level you're even deeper bonded than you know maybe your your garden variety american couple yeah well i mean you know i don't, I don't think we can talk in such broad terms because i'm sure there are many many couples who are very deeply bonded who don't like these fetishes or BDSM, but certainly it could be an aspect, you know, it is an aspect of being close, which is, you know, what I've been saying, to talk about the things that, you know, you hold secret and having a, a partner accept you and be interested and curious to know more, yes, it's a definite way of, um, you know, fostering intimacy in a relationship. And, of course, if people are so connected on that level, yeah, it would be a big loss. But, you know, I, I think people who are connected on, on many levels are going to, you know, I mean, it depends on the couple. It, it's a point, but, of, of course, it's, it's a broad statement. But it does emphasize the fact that the, the sexual proclivities and sexual secrets, if you may, you know, certainly can bring people together or push people apart. And what the hope is is to bring people together and share in intimacy and rejoice and embrace it. And, and you know, I mean, all of this can be fun, and it, and it is fun, even some of the silliest ones. I mean, my God, like, okay, someone has a fetish about infantile, infantilism, Mm. You know, and that's one that people will go, ew, really? And and both men and women, by the way, this is one that's a, a, a male-female kind of thing where someone likes to be babied, put in diapers, and, you know, ex- the extent of it is individualistic. Some people like the idea of wearing the, just wearing the diapers, just that. Some people want to actually pee in the diapers. <laughs> you know, some people want to be um, then cooed and, you know, cuddled and played with goo-goo with gaga kind of thing, and you think, oh, this is kind of silly, but nevertheless, this is the thing that they enjoy. So you can look at that with two ways. You could say, oh, this is disgusting. I don't want to do this. This is so stupid. This is immature. Grow up. Get out of my life. I don't want to do this. Or you can join in and, and kind of say, okay, this is kind of fun. This reminds me of when I was a little kid and I played games and, you know, I role-played or, you know, how little kids like to pretend? Yeah, Little right. kids love to pretend and play house. Right. You know, I was recently with my, my nieces and, and that's what they like to do. They like to play that, that game of house where one person is the mommy, then there's the older sister, and then there's the baby. And they can do this for hours. <laughs> right, right. And, and they, they love to do it. So a lot of these fantasies are about pretending and making believe and playing roles. And isn't this a fun thing to do? Isn't this fun? Yeah. Can't we just have fun and, and go to the store and buy props and, and make it our time? And, and we can do it every now and again. I think also, and you brought up before about people with the lifestyles, where it gets a little disordered is when people want to do this all the time. And, and that is disordered, and, and that is unhealthy. I think when people want to do it rigidly, and I'm the dominant and you're the submissive, and it doesn't matter whether it's a male or female, either way, it, it's kind of disordered. That, that's um, the Fifty Shades of Grey kind of thing, where um, he is always the one in control 
the point where he's telling her that she can't eat anything between meals except for fruit. I mean, <laughs> come on, that's, you know, we're adults here, and we have to always bear in mind that we're adults, and as adults, we can play in a consensual way. And it's always about consensuality. This should never be done with, so, you know, if somebody has a real issue with it, please never do it. But it's always about two consensual adults or two or more consensual adults. But the key word is consensual. And once it crosses that line into a disorder, you know, pedophilia or, you know, mm-hmm. rapist territory or things like that, I, I, I mean, obviously the treatment gets very different. But can you talk people yeah. out of those behaviors at all, or is it is that a, a realm where you know it gets very hard to counsel them out of? Well, it's 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 again it's, it's something that I don't advocate anything that's non-consensual by any means. But I also have some feelings of compassion because pedophilia and things like that. I mean, it, it's again it's the same urge, and and there is again studies that this is genetic. And what does a person do? I mean, it, it's really sad that that's their focus, their object that that they're turned on by. And and the way to work with that again, I think, is more compassionately, more acceptance, and then of course managing the behavior and really, really underlining the fact that you just can't act on it. You know, one of my very saddest cases that I had was. Um, I don't want to say kid, somebody very, like, oh, like 21, who came to me because he's a flasher. Mm-hmm. And the, the nicest person that you ever want to meet, such a sweet, nice person, but he had this compulsion. And unfortunately, he came to me after he'd been arrested, and I was just doing some counseling before he went to jail. And it really did break my heart because it was just one of these things that, that he just developed early on and he just didn't know how to control it. And like a lot of these compulsions, and when a fetish becomes compulsion, compulsionistic, it's oftentimes it's linked to anxiety. So we want to think about this or act on something because we're feeling anxious, so it's a way to self-soothe, kind of the way that masturbation is. Masturbation is definitely a way to self-soothe and relax. So with, with these things that are against the law or between two, you know, non-consensual adults, I really kind of feel like we have to find a better way to work with it and, again, a more compassionate way to view it, right. you know. And, and, it, and it's, it's a hard thing because nobody wants to touch it. Yeah, right, right. Nobody wants to touch it at all. And, you know, to lock people up is, is not necessarily the way. I, I think there's got to be a way to educate and manage and control. I really, really do. Yeah. We're drawing down on our time. Dana, do you have any last-minute words before we yeah, I let hope her go? Yeah, uh, I that Jackie could illuminate the difference between acceptance and actually liking a behavior in terms of some kind of um, disclosures between the couple that have caused a fissure to where he emotionally cheats or the lack of acceptance, you know, in terms of, like, a fetish. What is the difference? Because there is a difference, right? And you're saying acceptance is what's needed. You don't have to love what they're doing. Right. Let's let's talk about the fetish, because the other thing, the cheating, is just way too big of a topic. But I I think with the the fetish, see, acceptance also will help relieve the anxiety. So even something as much as somebody who likes to, let's say, masturbate, 
a lot of men feel like, well, I shouldn't be masturbating because I'm married now, so I'll do it in secret. And so when they're doing it in secret, they feel anxious, and so they'll masturbate maybe even more or go online even more because they feel like they're doing something bad. They're feeling anxiety. The masturbation will relieve the anxiety, but then as soon as it's over, they feel bad, so it, it becomes a vicious cycle. So I, I actually I have a lot of things written on, on my website about this as well as a link to my book, um, uh, Sex, Fetish, and Him. So I don't, I don't know if you were going to give out my website. Yeah, I was going to ask. Want. Yeah, I was going to ask you to do that. Yeah, go ahead. And how do we find you? It's uh, therapywithcare.com. Perfect. So maybe you can put it. You know, therapy t h e r a p y like the word with w i t h. Whoops. Sorry. Mm. Keep going. Keep Hi. going. Care. <laughs> care therapy with care all one word dot com. If you have any questions for me, if you want to reach my husband about developing talent, if you want to get my book, there's links to the ebook. It's an ebook, so you can get it on Amazon, iBooks, anywhere. That's perfect. And if you are friends with the chat room on Facebook, uh, you can also find Jackie there. I put links up to your website and book all up there as well, so people can find you. People can find you everywhere. And in fact, I'll link to your um, to your page on the podcast here, so it'll uh, it'll be extra easy to find you if people need to. Fantastic. Wonderful. Hey, this is so nice. Thank you so much. I feel so honored that you had me on the show, and I really enjoyed talking with you both. Me too. Thanks again, Jackie. This was great. Thank you. You've been you've been tuned into the chat room on KUCI eighty eight point nine FM in Irvine. We will be right back with you here next Friday night, five o'clock, as we always are. Thanks so much for tuning in. Have a great long weekend. Get out while I'm the master of balance With multiple talents I provide the landscape Maybe you provide the challenge I've been broken down and out And look at the sound that I'm drowning out I'm around the town and I'm round about It's better than a kick in your freaking mouth These words might scare you Make you tremble and double dare you Now we're always learning Always listening and very burning You're not checking the resume